You're listening to a sermon from Centerpoint Bathgate, available here each week. We hope you enjoy this talk and join us for more, either online or in person at Simpson Primary School Bathgate, any Sunday morning at half past ten. Good morning, good to see you, glad that you're with us along at Center Point today. We are continuing our walk through the Bible called The Gospel Project, and last week we started a new unit or section within this series called God the Revealer, in which we are looking at some of the prophets who were calling God's people back to himself. And if we remember that at this time, Israel, because of Solomon's sin and the sin of his son Rehoboam, Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. Kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And in the south, sometimes there would be a good king who would call God's people back to worshiping him with all of their hearts and saying no to idols. But in the northern kingdom, there were never any good kings. It was just one bad king after another. And eventually we get to a guy named Ahab about whom the Bible says he did more evil than all of those who were before him. So when you see the word Ahab, you're thinking, this is a really bad guy. And he's bad because he promoted not only the worship of idolatry, but he, through the influence of his Phoenician wife Jezebel, they got rid of all the prophets of God and made the worship of Baal the official state religion. So God looks at him and says, worst king ever. And it's in this context that last week we saw how God sent a man named Elijah, a Tishbite, a a mountain guy, a settler, a a rugged guy, and he walks up to Ahab and says, it's not going to rain till I say so. And for three years, it doesn't rain. And then finally, at the end of this period, there's this contest between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, and God answers Elijah's prayer and sacrifice and consumes it by fire and it's this great and amazing victory where God flexes his muscles to show his people that he really is the Lord and God and that this Baal Hadad that they thought could control the weather didn't control the weather and that the Lord he is God and the people respond to that by saying the Lord he is God the Lord he is God it's a great moment of victory we pick up our story today right immediately after that. Now, I've called this sermon the cave of your calling, and we're going to see why it's called that as we walk through this. So let's read together in 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And then he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. 
And he arose and ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and now they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rock before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there was a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael, king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall appoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. Let's go to God in prayer and ask him to give us understanding of his word this morning. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And like the angel who roused Elijah and invited him to eat, we pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit and open our hearts and our minds that we might eat and partake and be sustained and strengthened by your word this day. Come, Holy Spirit, and do all that's in our lives that you intend, O God. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start today with the idea of calling. And the idea that in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said that we have been saved and called with a holy calling. If you have been saved, you have been called. There's no such as an uncalled saved person. Salvation comes with a calling. God created you with purpose, with intention, and if he saved you, he did it on purpose and not by accident. God has designed your life to be a divinely woven tapestry of purpose, power, and promise. God has brought us to himself through Christ Jesus, and he did it for his purpose in your life. But as beautiful as that is, according to Jesus, there's another plan for your life. It's the devil's plan. Jesus said that the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can't destroy you, then he at least wants to make your life ineffective. There are spiritual forces trying to knock you off course. He will use any means possible to keep you from fulfilling your destiny. 
If he can, he'll chase you into a cave, a place of isolation, a place where you're prevented from making any positive contribution to the advance of God's kingdom. Now, sometimes we find ourselves in a cave, in a place where we're questioning our calling in God, our purpose, our identity in Christ. Now, today as we reflect on the life of Elijah, the Holy Spirit is calling us out of our caves and back into faithful participation in the advance of God's kingdom. Now, as we start today, we meet this character, Elijah, and reflect on this amazing victory that he won over these prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth. And as we start to unpack this, I just make this observation. We are sometimes most susceptible to the attack of the devil right after a great victory. Maybe because we've been working hard and we want to take a break. Maybe because we let our guard down, but somehow we open ourselves to the attack of the devil. And that's what happened to Elijah. He had won this great victory, but there's this enemy prowling in the shadows. And in this story, her name is Jezebel. Now, in verses 1 and 2, this is the threat that comes to Elijah. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent this messenger to Elijah and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Dude, tomorrow I'm coming after you and I will kill you. Now, Elijah had just triumphed over these 850 prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth, and now this queen says, I'm going to kill you. Elijah's response in verses 3 and 4 was he got afraid, and he ran away. He ran for his life. Jezebel said, boo, Mufasa. And Elijah got terrified and just ran away. The point that she attacked him with was the sword of fear right coming after his heart. And in this moment, he forgot all about God's power on top of Mount Carmel. Sometimes all it takes is one word, one word of fear, one word of discouragement, one word of skepticism, one word of doubt, one word of criticism, one word of threat, and our faith melts away like an igloo in Nairobi. And that's what happened to Elijah. He got afraid and he ran away. And in his running, God meets him along the way and gives him this supernatural fast food. I don't recommend eating fast food, but unless it comes from an angel, then it's, then it's okay. In verses 5 through 8, God shows up in the, through this angel, and, and he gives him these two meals. The first meal, a meal of restoration to help him recover from the doubt, from the discouragement, from the emotional impact that this word from this Jezebel woman had so wrought this destruction in his soul. The second meal was a meal of preparation to give him the strength to get him where he needed to be. And the place where he needed to be, the place where God was going to meet with him, was in a cave. And that's really where the story unfolds, in this cave. In verses 8 through 9, he arrives at this destination, this cave in Mount Horeb. Now, Elijah ended up in a cave 
because he believed the threat of someone who hated God and wanted to destroy him, which that right there should give us pause. Why is Elijah listening to that? Why is Elijah listening to the word of somebody who hates God rather than listening to God? But for whatever reason why, he ends up in this cave. When we lose sight of God's purpose in our lives, when we start listening to the threats of the devil, when we start listening to the voices of those who hate God, intimidation and fear can grip our soul. We can stop believing God's promises towards us. We can run away and disengage and go find ourselves in some kind of a cave. Now, we're in this cave, so let's just pause here and reflect for a moment on What's going on in a cave? What's a cave like? What are the characteristics of a cave? Well, first, it's dark. In a cave, you really can't see what's going on. You can't see in front of you, behind you, to the left or the right. It's dark in a cave. My grandfather, when I was a boy, he got this thing called vertigo. I don't know if you've ever had vertigo, but it's this something goes wrong with your semicircular canals and you know you lose your your, your sense of balance i i got vertigo once in my life and it was when jean was expecting one of our babies so she was sleeping somewhere else she was very pregnant and i remember this, this thing happened that night and it's the weirdest thing ever i'm holding onto this bed but the bed feels like it's flipping this way and spinning around this way and turning over this way all at once and is absolutely miserable that's what happens in a cave you get a sense of spiritual vertigo you don't know which way is up or down it's also lonely in a cave you feel isolated and we justify our isolation by saying no one understands me no one knows what I'm going through. No one's with me. No one's helping me. I've got this all alone. It's also really quiet in a cave. Our own thoughts are too loud, but it seems like we can't hear the voice of God. We read the Bible and we pray, and it seems like we're in an empty echo chamber. In short, in this cave, we lose our purpose. We lose our sense of direction. We lose our sense of calling. Now, I want to pause here and just make some observations about the ways that we interact with caves. Now, it might be that you're thinking, I don't know what the big deal is. I'm not in a cave today. I'm doing fine. That's okay. Good. Praise God for that. Hang on to this message because you're going to need it one day. If you haven't yet ended up in a cave, you will one day at which time you need to pull out this message and remember how it is that God brings us out. But you know the other thing that happens in a cave is that we start asking why. Why has God let me go through this? Why has God let me end up in this cave? And the short answer is this. God lets you end up in that cave so that he can get some junk out of your own life. Think about Elijah for a minute. Elijah's life was like this. Victory on the outside fear on the inside as long as there's the power of God and fire and he's winning over prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth it's all victory but on the inside there was sufficient insecurity that just one word from a queen and pop there he goes gripped by fear running away 
At the time he was winning all those great victories, he was carrying all that junk on the inside. Fear, insecurity, self-reliance, impure motives, selfish ambition. There are many different things that God wants to get out of our lives and caves are a great place to do it. God's purposes are so great that these things can be a hindrance to us fulfilling the thing that God has called us to do. You don't run a marathon wearing a parka and hiking boots. If you're going to run a marathon, you get rid of all the stuff that you don't need. God loves us enough that he is not going to leave us the way that we are. Like he did with Elijah, he'll even help us end up in a cave so that he can deal with the junk that we're carrying around on the inside. And it's in this cave that we meet the lies of the cave. It's not only dark, but we start hearing these lies. Being in a cave is a perfect setup for the devil, the father of lies, to start playing with our minds. At your lowest moment, when you feel the loneliness, when there's nobody else there to comfort you, the devil is there to comfort you with his lies, accusations, and false truths. Your best days are over. Your ministry is through. You're all washed up. You're never going to amount to anything. The pastor here doesn't like you. Nobody recognizes your spiritual gifts. They don't appreciate your anointing. Nobody sees your faithfulness, your fruitfulness, and they never will. The devil reaches into the cupboard of the closet and starts rattling around the skeletons of the past, starts reaching into the dark closets of our past and dragging these skeletons out, rattling them around. Now, this is what I call true lies because he's pointing out stuff that really did happen. You see that? You see that thing you did? You see that thing you said? You'll never fulfill God's purpose because of that. That disqualifies you. That torpedoes your destiny. That sabotages your hope. You'll never amount to anything. The devil pulls out his laptop and dials up YouTube and shows you videos from your past. You see that? You see that one? You see that one? That's why you're never going to amount to anything. Now, I call them true lies because that's why, that's why they're so difficult to fight, because they're true. It's stuff that actually happened. The reason it's a lie is that when the devil is using true lies to take you down, he only tells you half of the story. He's pointing out all the failures, all the mistakes, and all the sins. Do you know what he's not saying? But Jesus died for that. But that's covered by the blood of Jesus. But that's why Jesus was buried. But Jesus rose from the dead. But Jesus has given you the victory. You are greater than all of that because of what Jesus has done. The devil never points to the blood of Jesus. That's why it's a true lie. So here's the deal. When the devil lies to you, you have to know how to answer those lies. The Bible promises this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, let me say this. If you are going to adopt an I can't be bothered attitude in your spirituality, you will be supremely bothered. You're either going to be bothered by God or the devil. Take your pick. There is no place of neutrality. There is no sort of free zone you can live that you're not going to be influenced by something. So when the devil comes, James says, resist him and he will flee. 
Now, how is it that we resist the devil? Well, we disagree with his lies. No, devil, my best days are not over. My best days are ahead. No, devil, the pastor is not against me. This church is not against me. These people are not against me. They love me and care for me and want to see me be a great success. No, devil, that skeleton of sin will not keep me from fulfilling my destiny. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I am a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away and new things have come and God's purpose will prevail in my life. That's a good time to say amen. So in this moment of learning how to resist the devil so that he'll flee from us, which Elijah doesn't seem to do here, God comes and has a conversation. So here's Elijah sitting in the dark cave, ready to quit. He even prays to die. That's how dark he is. Lord, I'm no better than my father's. Take my life now. I'm never going to amount to a thing. And God comes to him. The goodness of God, the grace in this passage is that God will find you in your cave. He'll come to you. And he starts to question Elijah. And it's a real simple question. Why are you here? Elijah, what are you doing? Why are you here? What is going on? Now, God's not asking this for his own benefit. God knew exactly why Elijah was there. God wanted Elijah to face the truth. If you want to get out of your cave, you're going to have to face the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, obviously, God knew Elijah's deal. He wanted Elijah to face this reality, to face the truth. And the truth was this. Elijah was afraid and he had stopped trusting God. But Elijah doesn't say that. He says, I've been very zealous for you. Your people have been really bad and I've been good and I'm the only one left. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're the only one? You ever felt isolated? Elijah did. Now, it wasn't true. At the end of the story, God comes back and, no, there are 7,000 others that have not yet kissed or bowed the knee to Baal, but sometimes we feel like we're all alone. This is what I want you to see. When Elijah is there in the cave and God comes to him, sometimes we think, I need the power of God. I need another Mount Carmel power moment where the fire of God comes down. That's the thing that I need, but when Elijah's sitting in this cave, that's not the thing that gets him out. He's sitting there, and there's a strong wind, and there's an earthquake, and there's a fire, but God's not in any of that. God came and spoke to Elijah in the still, small voice of a whisper. You see, the thing that we most need when we end up in a cave it's not the power of God. We know God's powerful. Elijah had just seen God's power. What we need is to reconnect with God in the intimacy of his voice. We need to hear his words. We need to hear his love, his encouragement, his care. In his fatherly, loving whisper, God reminds Elijah that his greatest days are ahead. He commissions Elijah to go and anoint two kings and the prophet who will succeed him. What Elijah did after the cave was greater than what he had done before. And that brings us to the sense of destiny that should mark our lives. As we reflect on this, the same thing is true for us. Your best days are in front of you. God has not forgotten you. Now, some of you, you're hiding in a cave 
and it's time to come out. Your life has been dominated by the lies of the devil rather than the promises of God. God has more for you, more grace, more vision, more power, more purpose, more presence. But you're going to have to reconnect with that still, small voice of God. You're going to have to make room in your life to hear his words of grace and love and victory. Just like Elijah, the way out of the cave is by hearing the still, small voice of God. So let's go to God in prayer and open our lives to hear his voice this morning. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you find us even in the cave. Father, we confess, and Lord, there are people here today that they'll say, yes, I'm just like Elijah. Somehow my life has ended up in a cave. I have believed the lies of the devil. I have doubted the word of God. I've given more place in my life to the threats of the enemy and the doubts and the confusions and the words of darkness than I have to the light of God's word. Father, we thank you that your grace is bigger than the cave. Your goodness is bigger than the cave and you come to us in gentleness and love and care and speak words of purpose and destiny and calling. If we have been saved, we have been called with the holy calling. And Father, for every person here today who feels like their calling has been torpedoed and sabotaged because of some skeleton that's hiding in the closet, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would come, that you would come by your Spirit, that you would come and renew, that you would come and restore, that you would come and redeem, that you would come and remind, remind us of who we are in Christ, that our sins have been washed away. We have been purchased. We belong to you. We have been adopted into your family. Our lives are marked and defined by your goodness and your grace and the promises of your word. Our Father, we exalt you this day because you have done in Christ that which we could never do. So, Father, with all the cacophony of voices echoing around in our own personal caves, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, speak words of life and blessing and encouragement and destiny this day, O God. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 